Hello and welcome to another episode of the Northern Fire podcast. Today, myself, Sean Parry and Brock Dillon are going to be talking to Ed Gamester about Ed things. Ed is um, the founder of something called The Guild and Ghost Squad, amongst other things. And he's all in all just a very interesting guy and has a lot of uh, very interesting things to say. So um, we're just going to quiz him on some of these things and ramble a little bit. I hope you enjoy it. Gamester, thank you so much for joining us. You're you're very welcome. It's lovely to see the faces of human beings in these <laughs> trying times. Yeah. So uh, how uh, how are you doing with your Mad Max costume so far in the post-apocalyptic world? <laughs> I mean, fortunately, I've been living in rags for pretty much the last 19 years. Um, not by choice, <laughs> just by laziness and. Um, I realized recently I don't own any clothing at all that I've purchased. It's all been given to me or I found it or have stolen it. Um, and so I sort of have a bit of a Mad Max vibe going on anyway, just because I look like I am homeless um, or have survived a less dramatic apocalypse. Um, than well, that's very Max. green of you. Yeah, I was about to say, eco-warrior. I'm yeah. actually carbon negative. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not just that my clothes cost no carbon to create I actually give carbon back uh, <laughs> by burying them and growing trees out of the out of their nutrients is it a case that at night time though they do suck in oxygen and then like return it again in the day yeah they're, they're wily like that depends how much fungus and mold is on them really <laughs> that's why you should never wash your clothes if you get a decent fungus growth on them That'll that already pump out some O2. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a sloth. <laughs> the human sloth, it, yeah. That's what I'm going for. If you're going to say anyone is like a human sloth, it's, it's definitely not going to be you. Oh. But in well, reverse. There's an element of majesty to the sloth. I like to think that they actually can move really fast and they just choose not to. Yeah. Do you know, like, the, so there's, like, two families of sloth. There's a three-toed sloth and the two-toed sloth. And both of these families, like, evolved to hang from trees separately. They're not, they're not related in their tree-hanging ability. They both evolved that separately. How weird is that? that? That's fucking cool. In different parts of the world as well? Well, uh, they're both in South America, but do you know, like, so there used to be swimming sloths and giant ground sloths and cave sloths and... All sorts of different types of sloths, and those, those are those. The two that we have now both hang from trees, and they're both like evolved that separately oh. from other sloths. Did it? Did it That's turn cool. out that being incredibly slow just wasn't a good evolutionary trait for anything other than hanging from trees? <laughs> and that's why they all... that, that that is pretty much the, the, the giant sloth that's, that's just the biggest possible target and can't run away, and weirdly enough, didn't live very long. <laughs> Because just dozens of saber-toothed tigers descended on it. <laughs> what a terrible... How did it even get that far into evolution? I heard that, like, there was a... Was it the giant sloth, or one of the types of giant sloth used to eat lots of avocados? 
and then we kill them all, and the avocados nearly went extinct, but then we saved the avocados. I have heard that, yeah. I, I, I don't hope it's true, but I like to think that there's something in it, and I haven't just taken that in for no reason. We are, we are taking up the mantle of the giant ground sloths. Yeah, and now we're having wars over the avocados. <laughs> oh no. But I'd like to hear more about Ed. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, we're, we're really fucking... <laughs> Ed, do you want to hear more about Sloss or do you want to tell us about yourself? I mean, I already know pretty much everything there is to know about me, whereas I know very little about Sloths, three-toed, two-toed, tree or ground-dwelling or sea-dwelling cool. or otherwise. So if we could make a side podcast called The Slothcast. Wait, wait, but I'm really sorry, Ed. Before we go on, can you tell us about the, the swimming sloths? Yeah, so they would, they would just live in the, in the sea. Like, uh, they were sort of seashore sloths and they would dive... You know, you kind of know like manatees and dugongs. They're yeah. quite, they're quite slow, but they like see grass and stuff like that. I think the 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 giant sloths that lived in the sea were pretty similar. Eating the sea avocados. Yeah, if if that were a thing, yeah. <laughs> in what cool. way would they sloth? I don't really know what makes a sloth a sloth if it's not the things that hang from trees. What are they not just? <laughs> Bears or something? So, no, yeah. So it's just, it's just a family of animals. They're 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 from a a um I forget I forget the word for them, but they're from a specific uh family that's sort of not related to like rodents, marsupials, or you know like cats and dogs and that's right. They're, they're in they're in a very different um sort of family tree. That's to cool. The rest of animals, yeah. Right. And they're just terrible because. All of them died it's off. It's time to shut up about sloths. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay then, get into the get into the, the actual point now. So, Ed, um, <clears throat> I'm going to say uh, before 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 I, I let you like let rip, I'm going to list off some some things. You know, almost like that um, like that whole like ancient idea that if I guess your true names, like then then it's going to reveal more magic. Or something like that. So, I don't know what I'm so sorry. You, you, you broke up a little bit there, and all I heard was magic name. Uh, <laughs> I'm sat <laughs> yeah, right here, and it didn't make any more sense. That's to me. all you need to hear. All right. So, so uh, some things that I have witnessed with my own eyes, you do. I've seen you jump off high things and collide with humans. Um, I've Sometimes. seen you lift things that should not be lifted by humans you you've eaten subway sandwiches that like no one should be able to win take in one go uh uh I, like a scooby-doo character <laughs> yeah. these are these we, are just some of my deeds yes yeah all right so i'm beating about the bush so tell us about some of the things that you do um, well, I mean, you, I think you've hit on the main ones, the Subway sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm asked this question with a fair degree of frequency, um, and yet I'm still incapable of really answering it in any way that isn't just a sort of a mumbling burble um, of incoherence. I sort of just roam around more or less doing whatever I want to do. Um, but the things that I want to do tend to take on a bit of a theme. Um, they're sort of, I want to find them as, as ostentatious acts of daring and bravado, like anything that adds a bit of color and spice to my life or the lives of people around me, uh, tends to get my attention. And yeah, often that involves 
leaping off of something um, uh, or lifting something up. So I, I'm a competitive strongman, or I was back when that was something you could do. Uh, and I, uh, I'm a professional wrestler in, in the show style of wrestling, uh, or I was back when that was something you could do. Um, uh, I, I do <laughs> I do physical physical daring stunts um, for TV shows and movies and, and live shows uh, or I did again back when that was something you could do most of my things have been destroyed this year which is why I have all this delightful free time um, yeah. but the main reason that I do any of that crap normally is to entertain myself and the people around me that I that I that I care about I feel that there is a strange lack of um, of crazy bravado style acro- acrobatics and, and and things in in people's lives. I don't really know what I'm on about. I'm, I I guess I'm like a living song, you know. It's sort of sort of entertaining to dip into, but no one would really want to be listening to that song all the time, right? But unfortunately, I am. I can't get out of the song. The song is you. <laughs> I am the song. Uh, I think that's probably the worst description of myself I've ever given when asked, but you know, that's the one I'm going to stick with. <laughs> no, man, you're lovely to be around. We wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation otherwise. Oh. I think if our lives were a song right now would be the bridge that is just totally different to the rest of the song. Nobody wants to listen to it, but it's in the song. Yeah. And you've just got to get through it to get to the next chorus. Yeah. I fucking hope so. <laughs> it, it's yeah, like the, it's the bridge, isn't it? We're, we're currently in the bridge of the song of life where yeah. no one really bothered writing any lyrics, uh, but they just agreed it needed to be in there for the general blueprint of what they have planned. <laughs> and, you know, we all know the Beatles did it. when the chorus comes back in, it's going to have gone up a little bit. There'll, there'll be a key change coming up. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, nothing. everything yeah. will be exactly the same as it was before, and we'll all wonder what we missed out on. Yeah. Is the key change going to be the next financial crash? <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. It, will turn to a, it won't just be a key change. It'll actually go entirely into a minor key um, for eight years. Fucking love miners in music, though. That's oh, always yeah, good. Well, who doesn't love a good miner? Yeah. Well, don't take that um, out of context, by the way. <laughs> I'm trusting you right. with my voice here. <laughs> yeah, we'll fucking try. So, as well as um, you know, uh, stuntman doubles and um, professional wrestling and some of those things, uh, you also. Oh, I will just uh, before I get to the point I'm going to make is you you will you also do music. Can you hear us? No, sorry, you disappeared. You said I also did something and then disappeared. So you also do music as well? Ah, yes. I have been known to do um, a vague semblance of music. Um, I have a a two-piece band um, called Gay Bum. And basically, we're we're not really musicians. We're we're performers. Everything that I do is a performance. And in the case of Gay Bum, the performance is a musical performance. There are songs and lyrics and people sing along and that's very enjoyable and I cavort on a stage. And then, you know, in wrestling, it's the same thing. I'm just performing, but it involves punching people in the head. Uh, and then if I if I take to writing down, I do the same thing. I just perform and then write down uh, what I'm thinking and doing in, instead. So everything I do is basically just the same thing, which is... Um, and this is difficult to describe. I... People say I'm a creative person, and I don't believe I am a creative person. I, I've never been aware of sitting down and creating anything. I simply 
engage in whatever it is I'm doing, whether that's on a stage or in front of a laptop or whatever, and I sort of just see what is going on um, out mm. there, up or up in my head, and I just report it. I'm not aware of creating anything. I just, if I'm on stage, I just open my mouth and, and whatever I'm thinking comes out. If I'm writing, I just open my imagination and whatever is up there gets written down into books that poor people buy and read. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and if i'm if i'm in any sort of improvised theater or wrestling thing it's the same thing i'm not creating anything i'm just expressing what i what i see and feel in the moment um which is what i think i've always been a bit weird when people think say i'm creative or i'm a writer or i'm a musician or anything because i never feel like i uh, earnestly or honestly am any of those things i'm just a, a guy who i'm fairly in tune with what i'm feeling and experiencing and I'm quite good at mirroring that back and expressing that to other people in a way that, that, that lets them feel and experience the same thing that I'm experiencing. So I'm more of just like a conduit for for joy, hopefully joy a lot of the time. Sometimes I'm sure sadness if I wrote a sad <laughs> song, but I tend not to do that. Uh, I just try and feel whatever the happiness of the universe and then project that into to other people um, if I can. Yeah, that's pretty wonderful. It's actually... A very interesting topic that was something seriously that i did want to talk to you about and not just sloths and subway sandwiches um you know the whole the whole idea that um so obviously you know you know you say that you are not a creative person but there is a large element of the, of the, the fact that you do things and obviously me and brock uh we are artists as well or you know that's that's the the word that we I try. <laughs> but but the biggest part of it is is actually just daring to do something and doing it and not just overthinking something to the point where you just you're crippled on the spot. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We are all doers of things, and uh, doers of things seem to be increasingly rare these days because with modern technology and social media, you can very much look like you're a doer of things without doing anything. Whereas not too long ago in human history, if you didn't do things, you know, that was very obvious. Um, whereas now I'm, I honestly believe that people can spend their whole life doing nothing, but just making themselves look like they do something. Making yourself look like you do something takes more effort than doing things half the time, but people do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Talking about uh, doing things and actions and deeds. Um, so, uh, you know, tell us about thus. And the guild. The guild, yes. Um, again, people ask me what is the guild, or ask me to talk about the guild, with shocking regularity, and and yet I, I still don't know how to explain what it is, uh, let alone how I came up with it or anything else. Um, the guild is essentially a commitment to the authenticity of yourself. Um which I believe is, is not is obviously not something I came up with. It's something that has floated around in various forms of existential literature and continental philosophy for hundreds of years. Um, but seems to, especially again in this day and age, seems to have died a little bit off where uh, it's easier than ever to pretend to be something that you're not or to dedicate your life to the fabrication of an identity is now easier than ever. Um and about 11, 12 years ago or so, um, I got very depressed and unhappy with my own life and the life I saw around me, which was essentially uh, people living lives they weren't happy with, but yet having to pretend that they were happy with them for the sake of seeming to be successful and not doing anything. And 
um, just having the same repetitive experiences over and over again, which seem to be the very opposite of what being alive should be about. Um, I found that my standard mood and approach to life was just apathetic and indifferent to everything. And it dawned on me one day that if there's one thing you should not be whilst alive as a sentient human being is apathetic or indifferent because there is there is a shitload gone on out there uh, and there should be a shitload gone in, going on inside you. And if there isn't, then what the hell? Um, life, as far as I can tell, should be terrifying and exciting and thrilling and all these things all in once. Um, because Jesus Christ, like as a self-reflecting piece of the universe that got spat out of a vagina by no will of its own and then had to make it up for dozens of years on end with no one guiding it, really. Um, it should be terrifying. And like, if anything, you should spend every moment in fear of your own demise, you know, and clawing at the walls or, or like digging in sand looking for anything to make sense of it. But instead, we sort of just like lugubriate and, and just sit down for extended periods of time. And I realized there was this mountain sense of panic, but I was definitely going to die. I mean, we're all going to die. Right. And uh, having just done nothing but sit down <laughs> for, for decades. Um, yeah. And so basically we're confronted with the absolute absurdity of existence and the fact that really, if anything, life should be terrifying uh, and thrilling and not, boring i mean how could it be boring but yet it was like undeniably boring and repetitive and so i just basically threw everything out of the window one day and was like that is it that is it never i'm never ever going to be bored again i'm never ever going to be boring again it's it's, i couldn't work out how i'd done that how i got into a situation where i'd taken the most insane (laughs) insane thing like you could literally you could this moment you could open your window and hurl yourself out of it hit the floor, break 15 <laughs> bones, crawl into the sea, be washed up somewhere else tomorrow, like beg money from a tramp to try and get yourself to hospital and when them, like make best friends with the person in the bed next to you who then wheels you around in a wheelchair for the next two years while you heal, at which point you make a, a folk band and play the tambourine using your, one of your working arms, right? That That's doable. That could happen. If all you have to do is jump out the fucking window and that's you've started. So how, <laughs> how has it got to the point where everyone just sort of, I can't even say exists. A lot of us don't exist. And I'm not like, I'm not, the thing is, I'm not digging at other people or having a go. I'm just reporting what my life was like. Um, and yeah. I was young, man. I was like 22 or 23 years old. Like I had everything going for me in terms of, you know, the excitement and the, 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 new, the newness of life. And yet even I was just chugging away doing the same old shit every single day, despite the fact that every day is a new opportunity to do insane things. Not necessarily, this is, this is all going somewhere. So the Guild is a commitment to that authenticity and that acceptance that life is inescapably what you make of it. Um, but that, with the, the, the reality, that that doesn't mean that it's going to be good. Like the, the, like it owes you fuck all, you know. Um it could and probably will be terrible. This, this is like one of the key tenets of the guild is like the guild is not a good way to live necessarily. It's just a way to live and it's a very honest way to live. Um, and so I've not really answered your question at all other than to say that sort of my own values and principles, which extend to essentially authenticity and strength um, in various manifestations, I call that the guild and I love to be surrounded by other people that embody 
those characteristics and virtues because I honestly believe they are the only people I, I could possibly enjoy hanging out with because they are alive and they 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 exist in a meaningful way. You can feel it when you're around these people. There's like a dent in space time. Like there's a they there's density to their existence. Around them, things they happen. Things happen. Times are exciting. Not necessarily good or bad, but exciting. Whereas a lot of people, you could know them and not even realize. Um, and so, yeah, that essentially the guild is is the bringing together of people that think like I do. Um, or more importantly, like you said about doing things, not just people who think like I do, but people who do it. It's very easy to sit there and be like, yeah, you should, you should live by the day, man, and then just get up and fucking do the same old shit again, right? Which is fine. I'm not mm. not saying that's the wrong way to be. I'm just saying like the guildly way to be is to if you say a thing, go do it. Otherwise, don't say it. And if and if you do, then like your words are meaningless now. So I'm never going to listen to what you say again because because you've proved that you never do what you say you're going to do. So. The guild is is that commitment to the authenticity, but also the the following through of it that makes all the difference. Because otherwise, man, why bother? So there you go. That was that was a vague attempt. Did that did that answer it in some way? Was there anything in there that that you thought that's actually what I was? Well, either way, it was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So this is obviously a little bit off topic from what you were saying, but I think that you know the idea of honor certainly comes into it. And the idea that life isn't just about the pursuit of wealth and happiness as such. Because, you know, happiness, of course, is something that's wonderful, but it's not possible to be happy all of the time. And uh, and also that life should not just be about the pursuit of wealth or whatever, because it's meaningless. Uh, it, I, th- I think recognition of the absurdity is something that really helps me. Yeah. Uh, when I was sort of going through it, just like it's absurd. Now I'm gonna sit down and paint or something. Like you, just, you just not stopping when you realize how rubbish life is. You just like, yeah. Oh God, it's absurd. Wouldn't it be even more absurd if I did something else to, you know? So I, I really definitely really see that aspect of it. Definitely. Yeah. And I think as well, like it also really helps when you realize that. By the idea of not taking yourself too seriously to the point where again you are crippled and you don't do anything you know like a lot of people will overthink things instead of just giving it a go yeah that that's why most people have a book they want to write or a picture they want to paint or a project they want to get off the ground that they never will do because they're all of us get paralyzed by this weird feeling that it needs to be perfect or it needs to perfectly represent their idea of it, despite the fact that they're going to be dead pretty soon, and the thing that they create will probably have fallen in the bin or got banana spilled on it whilst making breakfast. And like, that's just what that's how life is, mate. Unfortunately, um, I think that's something like being uh, being a tattoo artist. You don't you don't get to be that way because the person you are doing the drawing for is there staring at you, judging you. And if you, <laughs> yeah. if you take too many breaks. Or say like, oh, oh, I think about this and come back to it tomorrow. You can't do that. No, you have to do it. No, right? you have to get on with it. Um, so there, in that, I think in that sense, like being a tattoo artist, I don't know if you have this feeling, Sean, but like there, I am pretty fearless, and yeah, I will just yeah. do it. Yeah. And then sometimes when I'm at home, I'm like, oh, oh, I don't know if I can <laughs> do this. Whereas you, Ed, you, you, you always, and I, I love your your um, your improvisational skills they're they're just thank you it's just this the epitome of like not having no fear and just doing just doing the thing i love it 
Thank you. Um, well, it's funny you say that because one of the reasons why I do the improvisational stuff is because of that. Exact, it's, a, it's a way to be fearless. It's a way of forcing me to confront the terror of not getting everything right um, and then live with it when it doesn't go right. That's why, that's why I do it. Um, so it's actually more of a reaction to the fact that naturally I'm quite... I overthink, uh, I overfeel, I'm, I'm quite guarded. Um, if I'm left to my own devices, I will just sit in a room and, and, and deeply contemplate and consider every minutiae of my life and my projects and then not do any of it. So I realized when I was, when I was young, I was a very shy child, a very like sensitive kid. And I realized that I was never gonna do anything unless I managed to just be brave and crack on. And so basically, just like mm. you said about tattooing, Everything I do is, is not a performance. It's very, very real. But it's me saying, right, go time. And then you switch on. Just like you sit at home and obsess about stuff. But out there on the floor, like on the stage for me or on the tattoo shop floor for you, you you've got no choice. You've got to switch on and make it work there and then for the sake of everybody else. Because when it comes down to it, I find and you possibly find that doing it for myself is never enough. Like I know that because if yeah. left my own devices, I'll do fuck all. Whereas if I have to go out there and do it to please somebody else or to entertain other people or because it matters to them, I'll bring the thunder and I'll make it as good as possible. So And it's always that way. <laughs> so it's always about surrounding yourself with people that you care about enough that you are constantly doing things for their sake. Because if they're not around, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to just sit in my pants, you know, and just <laughs> overthink what color I'm going to try and paint my van. Should it be matte black or should it be matte black with red stripes? And that will keep me up for six days. I won't sleep. You know, always the stripes. Uh, definitely, yeah. Obviously the stripes. I mean, it was a, it was a ludicrous example. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is something I'm interested to hear your take on, then, because, um, I mean, obviously, you know, we've hung out lots of lots of times and we've done some crazy things. Like, yes. for instance, uh, Jorvik Viking Festival. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are very angry about it, but we. We uh, asked if we could hold torches and we ended up marching behind the fake funeral procession going through the whole thing, pretending that we would know what we were doing. And we, we did lots of stupid things in the past. Um, we did. But like, yeah, and hopefully we will again if the world starts up again. But like for me, uh, I, I, I definitely, I have to have a lot of time where I spend not talking, not verbalizing anything or doing anything and that's one of the things where art is wonderful for me because I can make use of that time where I can't function um competently in the real world talking to people mm. I I I I'm just in like you know uh, rest mode and um and I can't stand that I fucking hate it so that's why I end up drawing and doing things to fill that time do you have that that um well, there is a word for it, isn't it? The, the procrastination. The, yeah, the need for downtime or the need to be like in introvert yeah. for us for a short time. Yes, definitely. In fact, uh, if I was forced to align myself one way, I'd say I'm an introverted person. Um, I find social situations uh, and performances and things like that very draining to me. Um, they take a lot of my energy away. And I have to go away and recover. And that's true for just hanging out with people or going down the pub or festivals or my job, which is performing. But 
But it turns out that what I'm good at and what makes me feel alive, which is performing and entertaining, also is something that takes a lot from me in the process. It's not, it doesn't energize mm. me. Uh, and so my life is sort of a constant cycle of massive outpourings of energy and then you know, either crippling depressions or just downtime where I have to go lie in a box or, you know, just not see anyone or be very, very quiet um, in order to get back that energy and also prepare for the next time. Um, and the bigger the outpouring of energy, the the bigger the crash afterwards, or rather the bigger the need for a recharge. Um, so, you know, back when the world was a bit more normal, there would be big obstacle course races. Um, and one of the things I do is I, I run these courses or sometimes I just pretend to run them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for the sake of entertaining the people who are running it and who are suffering if it's particularly cold or hard, uh, to entertain them, sing them a song or throw them a beer or something. Um, and sometimes on a big year, you know, I'll I'll be the focal point for 6,000 people about to charge into the hardest race of their life. And I mean, it seems sort of hippie to talk about it, but there is a massive exchange of energy that goes on in that situation. Uh, people take a lot of your energy away and you take a lot back. It's very cyclical. Um, but afterwards, inevitably, there's a massive crash where I realize that I've got none left. Uh, all the all the energy I'd stored up from previously or all the energy I picked up on on the day comes out of me and then I'm just burned out. So, yeah, the funny thing about me, I guess, or anyone in my position is that people only see us when we're out there and when we're performing. So they're like, whoa, you're just always on it. You're always up. Like you're really positive and upbeat and like this non unstoppable force of energy because obviously you don't <laughs> you know, make an Instagram video of you lying under the duvet. <laughs> Just like eating Cheetos and being like, no, I can't face another day. And, you know, even if you're doing an event every freaking, you know, weekend, that's still six other days of time that is spent training for the event or or training yourself or generally trying to get through the downtime. Um, so, yeah, man, I relate to that entirely. And I think that's a lot more of my life than anyone really realizes. Um but it's, it's very much worth it. Um, that's why all the things I've written, all the books and things, are, are ways I can fill the downtime creatively without feeling particularly drained. I, I, I can get, exactly like your art, I would imagine. You can sit quietly, not have to express yourself or involve any kind of energy exchange with another person uh, and still manage to express yourself in an artistic way. So that's where the books come into it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed your books, as you know. The um, oh wait, wait, the the um, can't remember the bloody name. What was it? It's the it's, uh, it's a catchy title. It, the the um, the adventures. Mm. Yep, of Mansmooth. The Adventures of Mansmooth. That was hell, that was very that. that was very close. It's um, it's the Sexy Adventures of Stan Booth. Uh, by yeah. award-winning erotic author Man Smooth, <laughs> which is my yeah. pen name. So yeah, I mean, for 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 people that haven't gone out and read that, it's it's bloody amazing. And um, thank you. So one of uh, one of my favorite pastimes in the past was like, especially when when I'd meet up with my friend Hannah, we would go and sit in cafes and shout out. Uh, you know, parts of the book, like read it out aloud, and we just have the most amazing responses because. 
you know, it's usually a 50-50 split of some people coming closer to hear it and other people like, shame, shame, disgusting, filth, and just, you know, <laughs> well, storming so, off. Thus the guild. I mean, people ask what the guild is, and it's much easier to just tell through examples. Like, that, that thus the guild, you know? Are you going to, half the people in the room are going to immediately despise you and maybe put out um, a warrant for your arrest? But the others, they're gonna love it. They're gonna they're gonna come over. They're gonna join in, and you'll be like, "Good, now we're all better for this," um, you know. Yeah. So I guess a, a gain overall. <laughs> but I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear it has brought mirth to, to random strangers. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, as you know, I made a point of uh, buying ten copies and then giving a copy to some of my favorite people so they can pass them on, hopefully through the world as well. Yes. To uh, to pass on this idea down through their families, I hope. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, so I think that something else uh, that this sort of uh, related to what we're talking about is um, so when it comes to art and me and Brock doing what we do, we're talking about this whole thing about what we do in our downtime. I know that you certainly spend a lot of time as well, Brock, uh, you know, drawing and preparing for for when it does come to that time on, you know, in the studio when you were confronted with with a human being that you were going to draw on for the rest of their lives. Mm. So it's all about the training of getting to that point of, uh, you know, sort of whittling out ideas and, you know, testing things out on the paper and so on, or, or iPad, should we say, yeah. before it comes to it. And this is also as well what you do, Ed, isn't it, with your training? Because like things, what well, basically what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, even though I'm going to pass it over to you, is that things don't come straight away. You've got to bloody work at stuff if you want to have a result. Oh yeah, like without a shadow of a doubt. Like obviously everyone has their natural talents, right? But if you ever actually want to be great at something, you're going to have to work for it. I mean, one of my favorite, one of my favorite little bits from a from a documentary um, called Rise of the Sufferfests, which was made about the meteoric rise of obstacle course racing which went from a very niche bizarre thing that no one really did to being the fastest growing sport on the planet and then the biggest running sport on the planet within like three years um and this is wonderful bit in it where they talk to laird hamilton who is this very well-known big wave surfer and he talks about the experience of riding these colossal waves and how it's one of the biggest highs and biggest thrills that a human being can possibly experience is being on top of a, like a hundred foot wave, like surfing on it, right? That's a thrill that very, very few people will ever experience. But he only gets to experience it because he has hardened his body and his mind through arduous processes to the point where he can be chucked off a wave like that and maybe survive because of his ability to, you know, hold his breath underwater, uh, the condition of his body and so on. And it's just the perfect illustration of if you want to experience the absolute highest points of, of being of, of, uh, being trapped inside this body, you need to teach the body and the brain that you've been given to endure all the other stuff in order to propel you to that. Like, I'm never going to know what it's like to stand on top of Mount Everest, I mean, let's assume, or ride a massive wave because I haven't taken the time to develop that skill and that hardness. Um, and that goes exactly for like, if you're never going to know what it's like to be able to competently and, and calmly ink another person for the rest of their life with beautiful artwork that you've planned and comes straight out of your brain if you never take the time to overcome that crippling fear of what if you mess up the incredible the agonies of artistic creation where you just think that you're shit 15,000 times a day um, and all the other stuff and 
I think that basically, this is why I always say strength is the cornerstone. Um, you were talking earlier about how honor plays a big part in all of this. And I, I think that they're, they're very similar, that, that strength these days manifests as the ability to harden up and overcome fear and um, all the constant nagging um, mm, questions and doubts that you that most people go through every single day, but a certain proportion of us face those things down and overcome them. And because of that, we sort of level up and then can achieve things that other people can't achieve. And that's that's everything. That's everyone who runs a marathon. That's everyone who runs an ultra marathon. Everyone who, who actually puts their artwork out there for other people to criticize. The only difference between us and them or them and us is we actually did it and it sucked. And then we did it again and then we carried on doing it. Um, so, man, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you have the uh, the courage and the the talent to sit there and, and on a daily basis as well and create artwork on other people's skins Um that lasts forever and it always looks fantastic and i think that's incredible because that's something i think all my stuff is transient man like if i screw up <laughs> it doesn't matter in fact a lot of the time i think me screwing up is what people enjoy seeing most um whereas you guys I mean, what you do actually yeah carry some weight so that's amazing Oof. Well, i don't know well thank you very much yeah thanks man <laughs> <laughs> i think uh i think one of the things uh on on that sort of um train of thought like people people always say like oh, i wish i could play the violin and it's sort of like well you can you just can't yet you yeah. can't yet play the violin mm. but that i i would i there's so much stuff i want to do i want to play all the instruments and learn all the languages but i'm only gonna live once like and that's that's utterly terrifying and i think there is a tendency to like freeze up in that that sort of decision making process about like actually what am i going to spend my one life mastering yeah becoming a master of um and i think a lot of people will just like freeze up at that oh definitely yeah yeah what's the that's for any for any um i don't know what the right word is i'm going to say awakened no that sounds that sounds pretentious i don't mean it like that um, for anyone who is honest with themselves, I think that is probably the single biggest obstacle in your entire life is when you realize you could do anything. There's, there's no difference between you and the person who can run a hundred meters in, in 9.6 seconds. I mean, obviously the fucking, there's some things that will that make the difference between the person being the, the top in the entire world and the person being in the top 0.01% or whatever. But the, but the point is for most things you could do them that like, and you've just chosen not to and dealing with that every single day where you're like, all the things I'm not doing are because I've chosen not to do them. I'm perfectly free to do mm. them. And I haven't done that's, that's probably the biggest challenge. And like you say, trying to then in the, in the wake of that realization that you are ultimately free to do anything you want to do, then trying to decide what the hell you want to do is is basically i think it is impossible i think people only manage to choose when restrictions are placed on them um from the outside you know where you suddenly realize well like now i can't do this and i can't do that so my options have, have been narrowed it's much easier to then make a make a choice um because when you create Absolutely. when you're confronted with the infinite fucking cosmos of anything that's possible then you just freeze up anyone would 
Um, I haven't yet worked out how to do it. it. Yeah, it bugs me every single day. What the fuck am I doing with my life? So a lot of the time, I just end up doing whatever comes along. So I was like, do you want to do that? I'm like, yeah, all right, fine, whatever. Because I need something because I'm going to die. <laughs> and if you leave me to my own, I'm just going to sit in this room and wait. So I look like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty proactive these days because I realize it just doesn't matter because, you know, even if I do the wrong thing uh, and fuck it up completely, probably I'll work that out partway along the line and come up with something good out the other end anyway. And if I don't, I'm going to die. So <laughs> yeah, like, better to have spent my life doing the complete wrong fucking thing uh, and then die than spend my life doing nothing at all and then die, as far as I can tell. As long as the wrong thing isn't, you know, killing. I think being able to, like, make mistakes is quite important. Being being willing and able to make mistakes. Like, I don't Absolutely. think I don't think in my artwork I, I am willing enough to make mistakes. Like, when I'm sat down at home with the iPad, I am a little bit of a perfectionist. Whereas, actually, if I, was, if I just allowed myself to make more mistakes and leave them... And make yeah. more and more mistakes, then eventually I might make less. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, and I. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, say, when it comes to you know we're talking about like the fact that usually we draw on an iPad because it's it's really it's really wonderful compared to other mediums because you have everything there at your disposable and you can travel with it and whatever if you have one. But even so. Like when I when I do with like even just on an iPad, like when I go back to drawing and realism, which you know I I used to do a lot. You know I did bloody nine years of artistic training, or whatever, in college and university and things, and now I've hyper specialized on what I do. And now I'm bloody terrified to to be drawing and realism and things, and I really really have to push myself to do to do that to get back to it. But I think that what's wonderful about what we're saying though is that like um. You know that as humans we do have that capability to mimic each other to a degree to be able to at least partway do what other people can do as well in that sense of abilities again it's just if you can jump out and do that and oh, it's something that you know that that was actually very difficult for me a long time ago and i think this is relevant for what you what you said before is um i actually found it very hard to to, to almost chill out on my um, what I saw is my my uh, my destiny with with my career and all that to push that forward, to actually start to like have fun again and to see yeah. people in a sort of social sense of just having a laugh and letting go and not just constantly discussing um, things that I see that are super relevant to you know that journey that I've put myself on, and on that. I've, I've, that also took a lot of training to let go of just being like, hey, let's talk about Nordic art. You know, it went through, <laughs> went through a whole thing of, you know, and then it's like, you know, after that, hey, let's talk about Celtic art. What do you think about the Swirly Boys? There's chickens and everything, chickens. And, you know, and it's, and then it's really important to, to be able to drop those, those hyper focuses to be able to just come back to the real world. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, of course it is. Which, which uh, is. The, the modern world is so fucking distracting. Yes. And so if you don't hyper-focus a lot of the time, you don't get anything done. So we yeah. like we learn, I think, behaviorally that good things happen when we hyper-focus and bad things happen when we get distracted. So it's it's almost like unlearning a good habit to drop the hyper-focus to, to chill out because actually you've cultivated a very disciplined mind because you've worked out how you get shit done. But yeah, the downside is it 
you know makes it difficult to then relax and then you go a bit bonkers and then you start making art with your own blood you know? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i'm really really passionate about mistake making because i feel like putting doing things that you're not confident doing and therefore making mistakes is basically the ultimate especially when it's, it matters to you is that the ultimate form of of vulnerability is allowing yourself to be vulnerable and uh, I really believe that vulnerability is the cornerstone of strength. That's how progress is made. That's how you learn to overcome things. I think that if you never feel vulnerable and if you never confront your own vulnerability, you don't get stronger. Um, and I think that there's an irony in that because I think that the, that the modern world perceives vulnerability as a bad thing, um, especially in men. Uh, we're not meant to come across as vulnerable. We're meant to come across as kind of stable and and uh and what well, the people say strong like you're meant to, as a man you're meant to be strong and in fact that's nonsense because a lot of the time what is perceived as strong is basically weakness packaged up in this really bizarre concept where strength involves not having emotions or not responding to things or not ever allowing like vulnerability or weakness to become a motivating factor to you and i think that's really really twisted because i think all the strongest people i know are strong because they have allowed themselves to be vulnerable repeatedly and overcome it. And that's what mistake making is. And that's how we make progress in anything, whether it's the artwork that you guys draw and then put on people's skin, or whether it's my ability to pick a big stone off the ground is because time and time again, we've confronted the terror and the vulnerability and we've, we've, we've squared up to it. We've been strong. We've overcome it. Um, whereas a lot of the time people who are more traditionally strong, um, they're they only they're only perceived that way because they refuse to to put themselves in situations where they don't feel strong and so they look strong all the time because they're always <laughs> operating at 50 percent of what they're capable of doing so you know anyone looks strong when they're just flapping around eh? because they're, they're never gonna find themselves struggling yeah um i think strength is in the struggle man i think to to build muscle you have to make little tiny micro tears in your muscle right and then you have to rest and you have to gently weep as you walk downstairs after squats day. <laughs> and you have to have that, that sort of pain in your life and the, the vulnerability to then build the strength. You also have to have like a crippling pain in your wrists every day to have a tattoo career. <laughs> Popping Tylenol. <laughs> well, for sure. Like, kind of like Sean was saying earlier about how people pursue money and happiness and, and things um instead of say honor or glory or whatever it might be and i've always found that weird because as someone who i'm uh, people find it weird when i say this i'm not a naturally happy person like happiness is something i have to cultivate and really work at like left to my own devices i'm not a naturally happy dude um yeah, you're preaching which is why I guess, <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly right yeah and and it surprises people because people assume that i am but they assume that i am because i present happiness because i have to fucking work at it so I seem happier because I'm constantly in the process of trying to reinvent happiness for myself. But I don't think happiness is a thing to pursue. I think it's a weird, bizarre fallacy that people have got into their heads that, that happiness is like the meaning of life is to try and be happy. Like, as far as I can tell, as just an <clears throat> idiot over here, like happiness is a side effect. It comes from being involved in meaningful things of feeling like your life mm. has purpose and that you're going places and you're loved and that you're valued. These things make you happy. If you can just pump happiness into yourself for no particular reason whatsoever, as far as I can tell, that's a catastrophic failure. So 
I don't think happiness is something that people should necessarily pursue. And I think that the more time you sort of spend metaphorically hobbling downstairs because your legs don't work because you're in the process of actually doing something, like that's a life worth living, not just aimlessly bumbling simply through life, like overflowing with meaningless, foundationless happiness. Um, but, you, you know, I'm pretty sure that seems to be what people think would be good, um, just to be pointlessly happy all the time. I do think it's scary, like, how people see happiness as, like, the end goal. And, like, it's reached the point where that that idea is so pervasive that people are, like, paying, like, thousands of pounds to just sit and take two Instagram photos on a jet plane and pretend they have a private jet, as though as though they are happy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that, that is... The fact that, like, to, that if... Someone paid two thousand pounds to just inject themselves with happiness for two hours. That would seem ridiculous. So to pay two thousand pounds to look like you are happy when you're not even happy is it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think you can prove this. I think that this isn't even theory. You can prove it very easily um, without being morbid. But I'm sure you can go to like an old an, an old people's home, and you can find someone who's in there who is absolutely just happy just content away with the fairies no real idea what's going on but very very happy and if you look at that person you're like is that what you want for yourself is that like is that person flourishing uh, is this eudaimonia is this a human being at the apex of it of what it's capable of and you'd be like no actually gladys like <laughs> no this is not this is not what we're going for and in that moment you're like there you go so happy is not about happiness is it what is it about and then you can have a conversation but you know most people are, yeah like brock says it's not even about pursuing happiness it's about pursuing um the appearance of happiness to apparently just make other people feel a little bit worse <laughs> yeah. well on that note like so um I've uh, I made a post in the last few days on Instagram. Like I think I've finally managed to get it go, oh, well go through today because uh, Instagram has bloody changed in a way that I couldn't actually figure out how to make a post for a while. They've, they've put a new setting in it that you you know I think inspired by TikTok that you just go through a reel and just watch little you know fifteen second snippets of things. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I'm a boomer. I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten TikTok, so this is the first time that I've witnessed this. So I, I, I watched it for a bit, and I had a bit of a curious look through, and you know, there was just lots of videos of. I mean, I've got to say, I really enjoy the animal ones. You know, like little puppies falling over. I oh yeah, like that, like that shit. But when it's it's just people uh, doing things, like usually on holiday. Uh, actually doing things and you you you, you know I, i'm guessing the concept is that you sit on your phone and you watch people doing things whilst you are just mm. you know it, you know it's morbidly curious isn't it you know? um but i think that like what that's highlighting is that uh, you know what people want to be doing really you know through their imagination is they are reliving those things because people ultimately want to be doing something and to be doing things and to be you know, I, and what I'm getting to, uh, I don't think I put it in a very eloquent way, but I think that people should just be doing things really so they have stories to tell. So when they see each other, when people see other people, they have something to talk about more than anything. Yeah. So you said about the whole thing about hobbling down the stairs after leg day, whatever, you know, and just feel like with a tear in your eye. Then you've got something to tell someone. You're like, it's like oh, I was absolutely crippled today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> you know, it's not. I don't think it's even necessarily that it's always about telling stories, um, for the sake of stories, like for just having something to say. Um, I'm pretty sure in in studies into happiness, and don't ask me the details of this because right now I I could not tell you. But I think what they found is that people are less happy in the moment. Um, than they are uh, when they reflect upon the moment at a later date. And this is especially the case when it comes to things like climbing mountains, running marathons, shit like that. If you ask people at the time mm. to rate their happiness, they're like, I hate this. This is awful. I want to die. Um, but then when you ask them to, to talk about how happy they were at that moment a, a year down the line, they'll tell you, oh, I loved it. I loved every minute. Uh, the, the, their reports of their happiness mm. are much, much higher later on. And that's just how Ed, I think Ed, episodic are, memory are works. Are you saying... Are you saying that we're all going to look back at lockdown with really fond memories? I guarantee. I guarantee people are like, oh, do you remember we just had all that time to ourselves? Oh. <laughs> but this is what happens. So, like, human beings, like, the way that our brains are put together, they, they're put together to, to – we get more pleasure out of life when we are reflecting on it, like, when we're, re, when we're reliving it with other people, when we're retelling it. And that's why stories work, and that's why freaking tattoos work the way they do – uh, why a lot of everything we do is because it is reflective about it's about we, we're talking about principles we're making art about stories um, because like because life most of the time is pain you know existence is suffering <laughs> I think there's a lot yeah. to be said that for the fact that life probably came about to sleep and we only ever really woke up to feed and mate and then we'd go back to sleep again because the process of being awake is basically decay the second you wake up you're 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 accruing toxins you're being attacked you're feeling miserable you're doubting yourself everything just goes to shit until you can go back to sleep again thank fuck right that's pretty much what existence is so expecting <laughs> that process to be pleasant is madness like i don't know who came up with this idea that we get thrown out into this this world that is out there to destroy us and let's be clear the world is out there to destroy us like people people like to be like oh i love nature i love going for a walk in nature i'm in the woods oh look at the nature you're like mate the only reason you're not being eaten by wolves is because of deforestation and hunting like we yeah. destroyed nature and now what you enjoy is like this weird bubble nature that human beings have bestowed upon you actual nature is horrifying and will destroy you so expecting to wander around as a small fleshy creature with very little skills in a world that's, that has evolved to destroy it and to think that might be a pleasurable experience let alone like not just harrowing constantly is i think is insane and so the fact that we feel happiness and pleasure at all is something that we should be very pleased about. And we should stop trying to manufacture it arbitrarily because um, because it's impossible. And all that happens is we fail. We just fail. We get up every day and we fail at making ourselves happy because being happy is very fucking difficult. Um, and that, oh God, you said something that, that that was relevant to and I got carried away thinking about people being ripped apart by wolves. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, well, either way, it was certainly very enjoyable. I think we're all just banging on at the the the, the, the general idea that happiness is an end goal or something we should be pursuing mm. rather than a side effect of of doing meaningful things or having a meaningful existence. Um, and I think I think that this is 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 very clearly demonstrated in the case of 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 depression and in the actual treatment of depression and in long-term case studies into what is actually effective in that. I mean, it's nonsense to be like, go for a walk in a forest and your, dep your depression will be cured, obviously, but equally it is nonsense to say, take these pills and your depression will be cured because it has been fairly 
comprehensively proven as far as, as I'm aware that changing your the environment that is poisoning you is is the best way to overcome these things and if if you are trying to flourish in an environment where you are not being nourished you will die and that is from my personal experiences <coughs> and the experiences that, of the people I've spoken to that's where 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 change happens so instead of going about your life expecting to be happy and then being miserable because you keep failing to be happy um engaging in life in a meaningful way and finding things that matter to you having people around you that care about you uh doing work that you think is valuable and that you're good at if you can get these things right and if you can make them work it's much much harder to come down and suffer with things like depression because the environment is 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 nourishing you instead of draining all your shit away and if you don't have those things in place really it doesn't matter how many drugs you take or how many therapy sessions you go to because you're just being poisoned on a daily basis and i think that one of the massive contributors to that poisoning is this idiotic idea that we should be happy all the time and that if you're not being happy all the time you're failing because that just sets you up to feel like you're losing every single day because you're not happy um and that sucks and i think that's fucking millions yeah. of us millions of us have been told that's like yeah. every time we open instagram everyone else is happy you're not happy you're failing you're failing you're failing and i don't care who you are if someone's in your ear all day being like you're failing you're failing you're failing you're failing sooner or later you're going to be pretty pissed off and miserable and feel like you might be failing so oh man that's what that's how i think which is sound i know I'm, you know it's a bit depressing but also I think people need to confront that. It's very easy to be like, no, you know, happiness isn't the end goal of life to herp and then move on. It's like, no, not just happiness isn't the end goal of life. <laughs> Thinking it might be is killing everybody. We're killing them. People are, people kill themselves because they, they're not happy and they think they never will be happy. Like, that's one of the leading causes of death in young men, yeah? So And, and they're doing it because they think they're meant to be happy all the time because we tell them they are and they're not. So, Yeah. Be miserable. That's what I say. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the things people misunderstand about, like uh, chasing experiences. Have we lost you, Ed? Yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you, you cut off just for a moment. Ah. Be back. I, I think one of the things people understand about misunderstand about chasing experiences is um, evolutionary dread. Aside, obviously, being in nature, you you're listening to the noises, you're seeing everything, you you become aware of your surroundings, and there is a sort of mindfulness in that. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that, but I think a lot, lots of people will literally go into the wilderness just to take the Instagram photos. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, there's not that mindfulness. It's, it's the hashtag nature, um, kind of aspect of it. And that is, that isn't helpful for the, for your mental health. You're not, you're not doing that for your mental health. You're, you're, you're playing into that, that thing that you're talking about there of, of just pretending to be happy definitely yeah. i mean yeah i mean i, I rip on nature because i i find it funny to do that but um yeah i'm i'm a very outdoorsy person and i i, I think well in fact i know because I've, I've read a lot about it um and studied a lot about it um and being disconnected from your natural environment is a major contributor to feeling um out of whack and that manifests as depression it manifests yeah, yeah. as anxiety right so yeah you're totally right and it's baffling that it's got to a point where people will deliberately go into environments that should nurture them and then only be there temporarily to make it look like they're they're doing well yeah exactly yeah it's it, there there are people out there like sort of promoting promoting nature as like being this cure-all for for mental health but then the way that they're doing it is saying like 
go out there and then post it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not that's the opposite. You're doing yeah. the opposite. It's a professionally taken picture with artificial lighting of them doing a headstand in a field, and you're like, <laughs> this is everything that's making me depressed because you somehow have a, a camera crew and the time and the money to go into the field and do headstands and look fantastic doing it while I'm desperately trying to claw enough money together to buy a smoothie so I don't die. Like, that's not a, that's not helping me. <laughs> not at all. And also, if I go to a field now and do a headstand, what's going to happen? Nothing. I'm going to fall over. I'm going to hurt myself. Ugh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, I guess there's an irony of the fact that um, uh, I try and spread whatever you might loosely call my message through the medium of social media. That seems ironic, but also I think all of us do a decent job of of doing social media in a way that I hope is actually valuable to other people as a as a little nod to be like you're Absolutely. you're doing well Absolutely. and also look I'm terrible at things or um, here's me screwing up or whatever it might be just to to be uh, just to be a small resistance of something that's fucking real in an environment that is just full of nonsense and, and falsity. Like for a while, I was a personal trainer. Absolutely. For most of my life, on and off, I've been a personal fitness trainer. And if there's one industry I despise more than anything, it's the fitness industry because it's the same thing. It's dressed up as health and fitness and wellness, and it's not. 90% of it is not about that at all. It's about making quick money off of people by exploiting their own weaknesses. Um, and I despise it for all the same reasons. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to jump in and say, like, but with with social media, I mean, that's that's like uh, pretty much at the core of so many things we've been discussing. Is that whole thing, especially regarding happiness and feeling of worth and so on. I definitely went through a period with it all when I, you know, when I started using it because I realised it was it was a fantastic medium for getting my work out there to get to do what I love. But then there was certainly a time where it felt like it was taking a hold in it changed from being a tool that I was using to something that, you know, I was almost just there to feed the algorithm yeah. and so on. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have been there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing though, is it's important for, for people that haven't heard that is that, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, no. you can, you can take a step back from it and not let it consume you because that, you know, we're talking about happiness and stuff. That just eats into your happiness like nothing else. It just you end up hyper focusing on it, and like you know, that whole thing of when people like just go somewhere like, oh, I could take a nice picture here and I can post it, and maybe I'll get like you know twenty likes or whatever, or oh, maybe even seventy. Who knows? Cool. <laughs> oh, bloody good it's and 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 I get that you know it's it's wonderful when it's like you know it's your friends. You could, you know you look into those individuals and it's like oh you know. I respect these people and, you know, the fact that they like what I'm doing, that's cool. But as soon as, you know, so there is something very real behind it all. But when it just turns into like an endless pursuit, it's mm. like it's. I think uh, even with even with artwork, that's there because it's sort of the whole thing of when I was an apprentice, it's like, well, I could draw something that I would enjoy drawing that I would like to see out there in the world or if I draw a little man with a beard and a rune next to his face, I'm probably going to get 200 likes. Like, <laughs> yes. It's that choice of like, do I do the thing that's going to make me happy or do I do the thing that's going to get me exposure on this little box of electricity in my pocket? And, For sure. Yeah. Always do, uh, always follow the, the authentic self because that's how, that's how you get out of the thing of just doing what everyone else is doing. 
But Anyhow, what I was going to say is that it's just important for people to remember that the internet is a tool, that's something you should use and respect that it has. Like, it's it's like a leech, you know? Mm. It's fantastic in so many ways, but it's, it's so bloody dangerous. Ed, do you think... Obviously, there's been a lot of talk recently about sort of Facebook and Instagram being like that algorithm that is designed to suck everything out of you. Do you think that it is truly possible to turn it on its head and and use it, use it for your own gain completely, or do you think there will always be that sort of parasitic aspect to it? I mean, I think that probably if you can use it entirely for gain it's it's a reflection of your own mental state being that strong from the outset so what i mean by that is i mean so the way that i use instagram now is quite selfish because i've realized like you say it's a tool i mean would i use a pen if every time i wrote anything it kept saying your shit your shit your shit at me every time i wrote no <laughs> you're a terrible tool right <laughs> or like every time i wrote yeah, you yeah. spelled that wrong oh someone else wrote this better yesterday oh you know that that's a useless tool to me right <laughs> so these days to get around that when i use instagram i basically don't use it at all and when i have something i want to mm. say which over lockdown has been infrequently i'll pick it up i'll hit new post i'll paste in what i've written from in a different app on whatever the picture is i'll hit i'll hit go and then i'll put it away and i'll open it at the end of the day mm. and see who's who's commented on it so i can reply to them and, and, and talk to people or whatever and then it goes away again and i don't scroll on it mm. and i don't really check the messages on it unless it's someone that i particularly know and i see their name come up um and to that extent i find that it is it only has, I guess, a positive influence on my life because it, it, it is a tool for my own exposure <laughs> um, rather than... Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's not particularly parasitic. However, inevitably, because of the nature of how you use it, um, you, I get feedback, emotional feedback, based on the response to whatever it is that I wrote. And or, or posted, and there's no way around that unless you literally don't check who's who's liked it or mm. commented on it, and then you don't know. But as long as you're getting feedback yeah. about that post was was popular, that one wasn't. It inevitably digs into you a little bit, and you know makes you feel crap if people didn't really like something, mm. or makes you feel, or, or more dangerously, makes you feel good when people did like something because then that reinforces whatever it is you did, mm. and that isn't necessarily a good thing because. What I've noticed, like Brock said about, you know, it, 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 he could draw something he really wants to draw or draw something that's going to get more attention and likes. And what I've noticed with a lot of people, and especially in the scene in which we three exist, um, we basically live in cosplay, as far as I can tell, where people have realized that if they if they wear certain <laughs> clothes and have certain tattoos and, and mention Odin enough times, they'll get a lot more followers and a lot more attention from people they think are cool. And so they just do this and they pose in the mirror with a battle axe, despite the fact they've never once used an axe in their life. And they'll draw runes on their face with no idea what it means or whether it's even vaguely historically relevant. People just dress up as shit that they're not. And I'm, I'm like, uh, it's not for me to say who is or isn't whatever, but I'm really sorry. 
there's killing someone with a battle axe and there's not killing someone with a battle axe. There's not a lot of grey area there. So you can't really stand there with an axe on your shoulder and talk about being a warrior when you've literally never been to war or fought anybody. At that point, you are dressing up as something else. And I'm yeah. all for dressing up as something else. But when your own identity is dressing up as something that you're not, something has fucked up somewhere, mate. And that, yeah. unfortunately, is fucking millions of us. Like... But we've done it because we've realised that that gets a reaction. Because being something gets a reaction. So instead of being something, because being something is difficult and time-consuming and painful, people just dress up as something and get the same fucking reaction. So why would you? Why would you go out there and actually fight a bear when you can just put a picture of you standing next to a bear with an axe and be like, I'm all about bear fighting, and get the same fucking reaction? <laughs> you know? So this is where we're at. This is where we're at. Now everyone will come across... Like, when people talk to me and we have very conversations that mean an awful lot to me when people say hey man you seem to actually do a lot uh, and, and kind of be genuine and they, that means a lot to me but it's weird because they're surprised you actually do things <laughs> yes I do that's only surprising because so many people don't do fucking anything and it's not just the fact they don't do anything but they're always pretending that they do and yeah I mean you can tell it's something that I'm confused and baffled and passionate about but um, and I'm, especially because it's something that we we three exist in this little world, and it's weird, man. It's weird because we're surrounded by people who are basically cosplaying themselves um, as a different version or as the, as the person they want themselves to be seen as. And then, mate, you will go and meet up, and they still do it. They still wear the same stuff and mm. speak the same way in reality. And you're like, you are aware you're not a berserker, right? You're not you're <laughs> not actually possessed by the wolf spirit, and you don't actually drink human blood. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, I, I am, though. <laughs> and that's a weird conversation. You always accept the physical, <laughs> I am a wolf. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, who am I? If you self-define as a wolf, oh. that's fine. It's just, just as long as you actually do self-define as a wolf. No, don't just, don't just pretend to do it. Oh, man. <laughs> I, do th- I do sometimes feel quite torn about that because, like, I think... Uh, uh, I'm I'm quite into the if it makes you happy do whatever you want like if it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt anyone else do whatever you want so if you want to paint runes on your face and take pretty photos of yourself then then go ahead and I think like I think as you're sort of saying like that that is cosplay Ed I yes. I also think like girls girls just doing the duck face and then the high angle photos that's cosplay yes you're cosplaying a slightly more attractive version of yourself. <laughs> In theory, in theory, <laughs> in theory. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. It is something that troubles me between the like, oh, just let people do what what they enjoy, and actually, like, oh, is this actually harming your mental health more than it's helping you? I think. I think there's a, that's that's quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine. Like people, uh, so man, I, okay, I'm not runes. Well, actually, no, I paint runes on myself. Um, or I'll put a bunch of face paint yeah. on and I'll go out into a field with a flamethrower and I'll lark about and, and do cosplay. Um, Sean's face ruins are permanent. Yeah, so. you can't get rid of them. Have I got ruins on my face? Uh, ear is your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ear face. <laughs> um, We've been having a big debate, so I've got to cut across. No, like, if you've got tattoos on your ears, does that mean you've got a face tattoo? Well, apparently. Um, so, uh, I... No, because I feel like a face tattoo is more than just literally a tattoo on your face. It's it's a it's a it's a concept, isn't it? It's a it's a a tattoo that's on like your identifying visage that's unhideable and, and visage, confronts yeah. 
other people, whereas your ears, I mean, my ears are tiny. You can't see them even when they're out, right? Um, so I think mm-hmm. in Sean's case, okay. though, because like you know, your hair's shaving away, maybe they are a bit more facey because they're very, very mm. up in your... But the head tattoos then, aren't they? If you've got ear oh, tattoos, well. the head tattoos, you know? No, I think they're an appendage that comes off the head. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, just Do you have any appendage yeah. tattoos? Yeah. But talking about like being your own like authentic self then, I, I have a two-part question for you, Ed. Okay. One... Are you a muscle wizard? And two, if so, <laughs> if so, what's your favourite spell? <laughs> well, you are a muscle wizard, so that's... <laughs> I mean... <clears throat> Would Flesh Warlock also, also work? I, I'm going to... I feel like if I ask for clarification on what a muscle wizard is, that would mean I'm not a muscle wizard. So I'm just going to go ahead and agree that, yes, I am a muscle wizard. <laughs> um, undeniably and proudly. Um, and, of course, I have a favorite spell. I mean, all wizards have, have favorite spells. Um, it depends whether you're asking me about my favorite muscle-based spell or whether you're just asking me about my favorite spell that I cast whilst being muscly. Uh, which which one or both? Um, <laughs> I think it's a two-part. Yeah, yeah. We want both. Well, either yeah. But first off, what's what's your favourite um, spell in in the art of muscle mancy? Ah yes. Well, my fa- <laughs> within the the vast fleshy realms of muscle mancy, uh, my favourite spell to cast is um is called stone skin, and uh, basically that is the. <laughs> You, by committing entirely to the the practice of lifting stones, you actually turn the skin of your forearms to stone. Uh, it hardens up and becomes completely ah. impervious to the elements. Um, you probably can't I have see heard it. about this spell. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a slow, it's a grower. Um, you cast it on the first time hmm. you try and lift the stone, and then you know you have to ritually go uh, go and re recast it whilst lifting stones. But eventually, yeah, you're you'll find that your skin becomes grotesquely calloused. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's my favourite. Because yeah, I'm only like a... I'm only a 0.5 level muscle wizard. So oh, wow, I just that's... have these tiny little ones on the palms of my hand. Oh, wow. Uh, I've not levelled up yet to, to the, the full-on forearm calluses. Yeah, well, that comes with time. That comes with time. But mm. what you if you really commit to it, what you want to get to by the time you around about level... Goodness, I'd say around about the early '80s, uh, you'll find that your your whole body is just one, just one callus. Um, you've got to be careful at that point because once your face starts yeah. callusing up, uh, it, there's not a lot of going back. Um, no, no. You, you can't cast spells because your mouth becomes callous and you can't speak. Um, and then you cast <laughs> you can't cast the uh, the muscle spells to undo what you've done. Um, that's terrifying yeah you need to someone you need to have an accomplice with um with ah. an emery board that basically just comes an apprentice with, that files you down if you become too callous they just, <laughs> they, just they just file a all the gross stuff away yeah so beware if you're going to get into muscle wizardry. Mm. Uh, okay yeah for sure well, since you just asked Ed the question, I'm going to ask you because um, because Brock is a skin poet, you see. Oh. As a as a tattooist, mm-hmm. so um, Brock, what's your favorite spell or uh, your your favorite uh, rhyme to sing upon the flesh? 
Does that sound creepy enough? Can I yeah, word it yeah, in a more... Okay, I think... Um, I think my favourite... Uh, I think my favourite spell would be up and down and round in a whirl, I gently cast the elbow swirl. <laughs> <laughs> and and then an elbow swirl appears on their on their arm. But I think that's my fa the elbow swirl is my favorite spell. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The elbow swirly guy. Other than dot. Oh man, your spell was so much better than mine. Mine just had a a name. I've never actually I I did well, I didn't want to utter the spell right now because I feel like I might accidentally callous myself. So by by uttering that spell out of context, have you ruffled the ether what's going to happen well it's 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 wild magic now it wasn't really directed oh, at no. it could have it could have gone anywhere there might be a child somewhere that just got <laughs> tattooed i was gonna say i want to check my own elbows just in case someone at londis has just experienced <laughs> a bit of funny bone pain just fall into the ground <laughs> <laughs> oh it's out there oh. now maybe it'll get the listeners it might ricochet <laughs> Well, you know what? I think this is a. I think this has gone on for quite a while. So I think, for the uh, sake of the the general public, I think we should probably call it a day there. For the sake of Duncan's sanity. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, poor Duncan. So, Duncan. Sorry, Duncan. Yeah, Duncan is the wizard that's going to be editing uh, our random mumblings together. You see, so yeah, I reckon. Thank. We'll just leave it there. Thanks, Duncan. You are a legend. Yeah, thanks, mate. Can you make sure you put some real booming echo on my voice? I want to sound sound like I'm in a like cave. I'm in a cave. Uh, but not a comfortable not a cave, com like real low on furnishings. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna put reverse reverb on you so that you sound like you're talking backwards somehow. Oh, oh, it I see. Really make people work for this one. <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't even come out of itself. Mm. You'd sound like you're in a box for the whole thing, I guess. The box of Barry. Mm. All right, then.